this summer, as you know, we are in our summer practice called BIOS, and we hear stories from church members that only church members can tell. And every summer, you've noticed, we usually have a couple groups through the summer that focus on some kind of theme. Last week, we had seven-year-olds who have been members for about seven years of this church, seven or eight years, (laughs) depending. They were our young theologians. And, uh, And this week, we shift to people whose membership is measured in decades. But Paul, this is not the old theologians group. That's not what we're doing here. This is people whose membership is measured in decades. In our planning, uh, the pastors, as we thought about this, we dubbed this group uh, the Longview Group. And we thought, uh, as we talked about it, um, we thought we'd ask a few people that we knew have been here at this church for a long time and could help us kind of pull back from the immediacy of the present moment and experience what it's like to, to be at this church for, for, a, very, for a long time. And uh, maybe even to take in what has made La Sierra La Sierra over all these years. So, uh, this is our group. We're going to uh, first just get to know them briefly and hear um, when they came and why. So, uh, Wally Minder, what brought you to La Sierra in 1955? That is Wally in about 1955. What brought you here? I came to go to college. I was uh, 22 years old, had gotten out of the army and had a family with a one-year-old child. And I came here to uh, get an education. And I joined the church. And uh, over that many years, I was here for the four years, then I was gone for 10 years, and I came back in 1969. So that's a total of... um, about 54 years as a member here at this church with a 10-year hiatus. But of course I can remember uh, many, many things. I think at that that time in 55, as is today, music was a very important part of this church. And uh, we have seen it uh, transition, if you please, um, and certainly have be more inclusive of the wishes of our young people, and I'm glad to see that, personally. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, we heard some of that today, for sure. 54 years. Cheryl Bauman, you came when, and what brought you to La Sierra? Um, I came in 1957. Uh, my... <laughs> <laughs> oh. That is Cheryl. <laughs> my father had been uh, called to come and teach at La Sierra College. And my mother, who had stayed home with me, was eventually going to be a teacher down at La Sierra Academy. So I was kind of in between both campuses. And I enjoyed it very much. Uh, We lived on the corner of Sierra Vista and Doverwood. One of my best friends lived across the street from me. Uh, Lots of of good memories. And you've pretty much been at this church mostly ever Uh, since, right? Yeah. So that we figured, is it 62 years or so? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I will Good. admit that. Beautiful. Thank you, Cheryl. Beth McCullough, when did you come to La Sierra and what brought you here? I came in 1978. I just graduated from Andrews. That's my uh, class picture there. <clears throat> and I came for a job. I had been hired by Loma Linda Food Company. 
Um, somehow they'd gotten one of the fact that I'd written an article for Life and Health magazine. Some of you may remember that. It was on eggplant. And they wanted someone to work in the marketing department. They could do a little bit of writing and a little bit of cooking. And I guess I seemed to fit the bill. So Delmer Wood, who was the president, interviewed me at the South Bend Airport because he was passing through and hired me. And that's how I got to come here. And I wanted to drive across country. And my boss said, nope, you've got to be there July 20. And so I decided to take the train. So I took the train and came to Riverside on July 16. And I've been here ever since. And you told us there was a specific reason you kind of chose this church out of a few options that you had. What was it, Beth? Well, I thought it was a large church and I could, I could get away without doing anything. <laughs> How'd that work out? <laughs> You've been super quiet ever since, huh? Yeah. Well, can I just add this? One of the things that I've learned being a church member is that you stay in the church if you stay active. And so... I just couldn't sit and not do anything because this is what church is all about. It's being a part of a family. That's about 41 years. Thank you, Beth. Paul Mallory, when did you come to La Sierra? What brought you here? I came to the community in 74. My dad got a job on the faculty at the university. And then, uh, but we didn't start at this church, although I do remember candlelight concerts and things like that. Uh, we joined this church around 78 or 79. Uh, and then my dad became the pastor in 81, so that's when it kind of became the family all-inclusive thing. <laughs> yeah, so, and just to be sure, if people don't know, your dad then, you were a pastor's kid at this church. Mm -hmm. Your dad was? Lynn Mallory. Lynn Mallory. Um, and he was here till 87, and then he moved to the conference office and eventually became the president there for a while. Right. Um, I was here with a couple of exceptions for when I went to grad school when my wife had her internship. We were away, but I keep coming back here. And now a teacher at the university, 39, 40 years, something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you all. So we have uh, almost 200 years of membership uh, amongst, amongst this group. I'm going to add in, yeah. <laughs> how does that, yeah, how does that feel, Cheryl? So uh, one of the common things that uh, you all have is in some way something that brought you here uh, or kept you here was being attached to the university and to the academy. Um, we are a church between two campuses. This is something that we talk about all the time. We have a university campus and an academy campus, and this is part of who we are. Cheryl, you've had just a few years of experience with our schools um, over the years. What's it been like to be um, in a church that's connected to an academy and to a university and to have that be part of who we are over the years? How do you think that's played a role in, in our church? Well, it's been like home. Um going to school from kindergarten through college right here in La Sierra. Um, sometimes after school, I would either go be with my mother at the academy, or I would walk up in front of the food factory and come to Daddy's office in Palmer Hall. Um, and it just seems like this church being on the corner was very central. Uh, you saw it from wherever you came. and. Um, it's a landmark that um, warms my heart, and uh, it's like an anchor between the two places for me. Yeah. Paul, I think you mentioned, too, thinking about what it means for you to be part of a church that's connected to a university and academy and to be, yeah. I, I think... And, and I'm a social scientist, so I kind of think in terms of like what's happening culturally. When you have so many people in the church who are connected to the academy and the university, 
and we spend a lot of time at our jobs thinking, what are the needs of these young people? I think that changes the culture. So as a church, we think more than the average church about what are the needs of the young people. It's more a part of who we are. Yeah, yeah, that becomes priority. So that means sometimes uh, doing things differently than maybe we would want to do because we're thinking about uh, another segment of people, right? Beth, Beth, you mentioned, man, you mentioned a compromise you experienced years ago, decades ago, with the early teen room or something like that. You want to mention that? Oh, tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> Paul was one of my early teeners, by the way. <laughs> But, um, Ms. McCullough. <laughs> <laughs> just hold that up. Okay. We had, um, well, the early teen room was service the chapel. And my understanding when I came here was that it was built for the early teens and for community services. And we, we did a lot of things over there. We remodeled it once and just, it was, it was a good place to be. And, and when they decided to change and, and it sort of rankled a little bit that they would take the early teen room away and, and put it over here so the college students can have it. But, you know, you roll with the punches, and I got to appreciate the college students uh, and what we were doing for them, because that's how the church works. You have to accommodate each person in turn when the time comes. And so uh, I, I learned yeah. to live with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we've seen that in many, many different ways. Um, besides, besides the campuses, I'm, I'm wondering if you can reflect a little bit on just over the years, what has made La Sierra, La Sierra? Wally, um, since 1955, um, I'm sure there are things that have changed a lot um, in this church, and then there are probably some things that have stayed consistent. Are there things that, you th uh, that come to mind right away? Of how, how was Lost Year Church in 1955? And what would look very different? And maybe what's some stuff that stayed the same? I think it's more the same than it's different. However, there were different emphasis. Um, at that time, we had uh, still our Pathfinder Club. We had our youth groups. There was a young married uh, group, however, that was quite active, which I was a part of. And... Uh, that allowed us to get together in the evenings and play games and come down and hear it at the church and in the fellowship hall and uh, actually uh, participate in various activities. Actually, we didn't have this fellowship hall at this time, but we did go to the gym at the academy and we participated there. So yes, we did many, many things the same as we do today. Um, I think our church has always been a church of cutting edge thought, cutting-edge theology, cutting-edge uh, thinking in terms of what uh, is best for our, our church and our denomination. And I think our church here and our membership here through the years has been a, a participant in those kinds of changes. You can think, of course, um, first women's ordination was done here on the, on the West Coast. Uh, that's just one item. I can think back when perhaps um, there was another change that happened um, in about the 1971-72. Our denomination was facing quite a crisis in um, page to Gales, and uh, there was quite a discussion going on with the Pacific Press. But at that time, our members here began to talk about what was equal pay for equal work. And our members who were the board members here at our La Sierra Academy at that time, in 1971, I had then joined the conference in the education department. And I can remember very well how 
our academy board struck out and made the first changes in the salary structure that would allow all of our teachers with the same degree get the same amount of pay rather than separate it by single woman, married woman, and married man. And uh, that came through a lot of pain, pain with the fact that it wasn't supported by uh, the higher-ups, but within a few years, <clears throat> it spread across our union and, of course, now across the denomination, and we hardly remember it. It's just what we do because it's what was right. Yeah, that story when uh, Wallace shared that with us this week, and it was that was a new one. That particular one was a new one. What year did you say, Wallace? That was that was about. I was I was still associate superintendent. I didn't get to be superintendent in '74, so it must have been about 1972 or '73, hmm. as I recall. Yeah, yeah. So even then, uh, you you were really animated, as he said. This was members of our this congregation were the ones sitting on that board and helping make those decisions and things like that. Yeah, a beautiful beautiful history. And then you alluded to the one that we know a little bit more in our history and our story. Um, this is one that came up. We were talking about um, one, one of the questions is what are what are moments that just you know that this church has been most true to who it is when last year has been at its best. What moments bring you pride? Um, everyone around the table mentioned 1995, uh, the decision to ordain um, three women here a couple months after uh, the same thing happened at the Sligo Church in Washington D.C. Um, Paul, your family was kind of right in, in the middle of that. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience of that? Yeah, and, and it wasn't like a sudden decision. It was something the church had been moving towards for a decade. Um, I know that when my dad was a pastor here, they filled out the paperwork for Hallie Wilson to get ordained, knowing full well it wouldn't get approved, but it's something you have to ask for anyway. Um, by the time that ordination ceremony happened, my dad was at the conference office, so he was kind of trying to be a supporter there, but a little more distant. But even then, there was a lot of opposition. This wasn't an easy decision to make. Um, more than once, my parents had bricks through windows. At least one said, no more lady pastors written on it. So it was very clear what this was about. Um, but I think this tradition of gender justice is the thing I'm most proud about for this church that we have this long history of this. Um, and I kind of see the starting the Kinship Sabbath School as part of this progression, that we're trying to think what is the right thing to do. And I think that's the area we've led the Adventist Church more broadly, is, is gender in particular. Amen. <laughs> I would like to add that I have seen this church over the years uh, grow. Um, even though we lose good pastors, we seem committed to bringing always good quality into, into our midst with the education, the music, and everything. And my former mother-in-law, she used to say, that if a church, a church has to grow to survive. And if they don't grow, then uh, it will fail. And I've been proud of this church 
for its ability to think progressively and to create an environment of community that um, continues to bring me back here. Uh, we don't get complacent sitting in our pews. We're required to get up and take action. And uh, this lady here is a prime example of that. Um, <clears throat> and, and I'm proud to be part of that community. Um, and so what does La Sierra uh, do best? I think it's just keeping in mind what our young people, uh, where they're at, um, and what their needs are. And that's important because that's the future of our church. Beth, as you think about when we ask about the, the times we're proud, we often think about these grand moments. Are there other, other things, the more day-to-day -day or week-to-week? -week? You mentioned some of those that, that you know that we're doing what we're called to do. We're at our best. I think we are. We're, we're working with the community. We reach out to those in the community as well as the people in the church. And uh, this morning I went to, uh, we talked about justice and mercy. And I thought, well, that's some of the things that La Sierra Church does, and they do it well. We look around and we see what needs to be done. We've uh, partnered with Blythe in doing things, and we have the uh, social services. There are many good things that we do. And uh, as I sat in the early service, uh, when we read the, uh, the last part of our service, some of the words just jumped out at me, and I said, well, this is La Sierra Church. And I asked Vaughn if I could share them with you. Announcing grace, granting freedom, and ministering to the poor, empowering women, breaking down barriers, and building community. You call the church to live your love, to accept all people and practice reconciliation and embody hope. Keeping rich memories alive, making the past present in new ways, and ensuring that nothing good is ever lost giving new possibilities of understanding, offering new challenges for action, and creating new opportunities for joy. And we look forward to the redemption of history and the defeat of death when Jesus comes, because this is what the church is all about. That was beautiful, Beth. And that's from the, the affirmation of faith in the early liturgical service at 9 o'clock that gets read every, just about every week, right? Uh, beautiful statement. So as you... As you reflect back over your, your decades here in the history and the, the ups and downs and the changes and all those kinds of things that happen over the life of a church, and then you kind of look towards the future, what is it that gives you um, a sense of hope and optimism uh, about the future of this church? The young ones, right there in the pews all around. Um, having my children grow up here in the church, knowing I can look out over the uh, uh, church and I can say, when I was little, my parents and I used to sit there. Um, I've sat in the back balcony, I've sat in the side balcony, and now I'm kind of migrated back to where I was when I was little. Um, but the programs, the strength of um, the Pathfinders, the... Um, uh, what used to be called the Adventist Ball League that was started by Pastor Lesko. Things like that just kept the young people here and gave them uh, something constructive, something healthy to do. 
I know there were some people that felt, well, competition isn't good, but I think that um, over the years, Randy Norton helped us helped us to overcome that um, <clears throat> thought process. And I, I feel that with the uh, university across the street and the quality programs that it uh, provides and the progressive thinking that this church has, whether it's in our theology or whether it's in our music, um, if it's good, it will continue. If it's not, it'll just go and be replaced with what we're studying to be um, the greater truth or more light, as uh, I think even Ellen White told us, that we should be constantly seeking new light. It's true. What else? Like, what gives you hope? I think um, what I have a great deal of confidence in, thus the hope, is that year after year we will see new church members stepping up, taking responsibilities, uh, leading out, helping to nurture and uh, reach out to the community. I think our church is much more community involved today because of our young people and their interest in community help. It's not that our community services hasn't lasted a long time, they have. But I think it involves our young people more. We're reaching further into the community, not just to uh, the ones here, but uh, we think of uh, the uh, young people that we help each year, and we think of uh, other areas that we have reached out to the community, and that is very good. Our footprint in Riverside has increased. I think our emphasis on Christian education is, is really fantastic. Not just because we're in a college community, but we make sure that we have children who can help in the elementary school and the academy. And this has been going on for years. I used to be on the church board academy and on the uh, tuition committee, aid committee. We do a lot. This church makes education a priority. And that's, that's very important for the future of our church. Because if our children aren't educated in our schools, they eventually leave. And so that's one of the things that I, I look around and I see the second and third generation and it, and it looks good. The thing that gives me hope about the future is our history in that we've, over time, we've often done really good things even when they were hard and we've made it through that. We're still here, still standing. We're still here. And we will be here in the future, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, each of you. Can we thank our, our 200 years of Lafayette membership? Thank you. We pastors recognize that this could have been many of you up here. Um, how, how many of you, would you just raise your hand if you've been here longer than uh, 20 years, that's before the year 2000, uh, longer than 20 years, and keep them up longer than 30 years, before 1990, um, before 1980, that's getting beyond my lifespan now, uh, before 1970, before 1960, Dr. Zane, how far are we going to have to go? 1950? 
You still standing? What year did you come here? 1948. 1948. Beautiful. So we, we thank all of you and we celebrate these stories and uh, the long history here at La Sierra. Um, that history is because of the people, of course, the members that have made it up. And when we were talking through the pastors, um, what to include in the bio series, we thought that this summer, in a year with so many changes, it does help to step back and take in the long view, right? This notion, this long history of this church, the way God has been faithful generation after generation. And there is something about remembering, about storytelling, about, um, about rehearsing these stories that is life-giving, isn't it? This is why we do. This is what we do. We tell stories when we're with family. I know when I'm with family, we get to storytelling, and often it's the same stories we tell over and over. Um, last week, as we listened to the seven-year-olds, our young theologians share their brilliant thoughts, we, get a, we got a sense that they're listening, they're hearing our stories, they're absorbing them, and then they're making those stories their own. And this gives us hope and, and energy. It's beautiful. So it's good when we pause every so often to tell and retell and listen and remember. My own story uh, does not go back nearly as long. You've heard it. I'm going to tell a short version again because it's good to do this. 18 years ago, uh, this September was when I showed up here uh, to Riverside as a transfer student to La Sierra, a junior, a religion major. I had driven my car down from Seattle, Washington to Riverside, California in late September from Seattle, Washington. And as I drove inland and the hills got browner and the air got browner, I did wonder, what have I done? <laughs> I think I got here on a Thursday or Friday and had to spend that first weekend knowing nobody. Uh, went to Newport Beach because that's about the only thing I knew about Southern California. and. Uh, yeah, the beach is not as close as the brochures suggest. Um, and it, it, was, it was kind of a long weekend. Went to Target and left a personal thing in the cart, and when I came back to the cart, it was gone. And I called my mom like, where am I? People steal things here, and it's, it's brown. And, <laughs> and then on Monday, classes began. I was checking my record. I had uh, John Jones, and I had Bailey Gillespie, and I had Juan Il Kim for Old Testament. And uh, in Old Testament class with Juan Il Kim, he insisted day after day, week after week, read the text. What does the text actually say? Not what do you wish the text said. Not what did you assume the text said. Not what were you taught the text said. Read the text. What does the text say? And don't be afraid of what it says. And it was uh, disturbing and disorienting a little, yeah. But it was also energizing and exciting and, and life-giving. And I fell in love with this place. Before finding La Sierra, I had been ready that summer at the end of my sophomore year. I'd been ready to give up on my theology major and switch to something more interesting. But here at La Sierra, Religion and theology were the most exciting thing that I could imagine. And I experienced it on campus, of course, at the university, but I also learned over time the stories of this La Sierra University Church. 
and congregation. I began to connect more as I got to be part of the first service team working with Pastor Sam and then a post-college internship at this at this church uh, a few hours a week with a 20-something group, and that opened the door then to 14 years in pastoral ministry in, in Southeastern. And reflecting back, I think one of the reasons for the deep connection that I felt at La Sierra, that I will always uh, defend this place uh, to, to, the, to the last minute, I think one of the reasons for that deep connection is expressed in a text from Colossians that I've been uh, reading over and thinking about for a couple weeks. It's a text that was assigned for the liturgical service this morning, but the more I read it, the more it seemed to also resonate with the themes we're talking about this morning here. This is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. In the ESV, this is what it says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, for a moment, uh, dig into this text. What metaphor? Notice, notice the metaphors that Paul is using through this text. All his actions are these, these metaphors. And if we pay attention, uh, the first thing he says is to walk in Christ, right? And then he says to be rooted. And then he says to be built up and established in faith. And then he says to abound or overflow or, or bubble over with, with gratitude and thanksgiving. And if we're paying attention, these metaphors actually don't fit together very well, do they? Walk in Christ Jesus and be rooted in him, right? Walk in Christ Jesus and grow roots and stay in him. Well, which is it? Walk along or grow roots and stay? Paul seems to say, yes. And being established and built up in faith, abounding and bubbling over with gratitude and thanksgiving. Again, is it a dependable, firm foundation and the structure, I think, of concrete and bricks, building up something solid and firm, right? Or is it bubbling alive with a spirit of gratitude? I'm picturing like fermented uh, sour dough, bread dough that's bubbling and living and moving and, and, and pliable. These are two very different images, right? And confuse the two at your peril. Make a sandwich with uh, some bricks and you're in trouble. <laughs> Or build a wall with some bubbling sourdough and you're also in trouble. Which is it? And Paul seems to say, yeah. So these images are in tension with each other. Paul has included them all together in this very basic central statement that he's saying about being grounded and walking in Christ. He's going to go on for another chapter to kind of expound on this. But in this he has these metaphors in tension. And if we ask which it is... The answer would be yes. Keep on walking or stay rooted. Build something firm and solid or remain flexible and alive. And Paul says, yep. It's both. They do belong together. And the, cre and the tension is a creative and necessary one. Walk in Christ, rooted in him, established in faith, bubbling over with thanksgiving. 
walk and grow roots, be established and bubble over. One commentator put it this way. This is so helpful to me. I think it's enlightening in, in this text. Stability and flexibility. Stability and flexibility. Fidelity and creativity. Consistency and innovation. These two things that often sound like opposites pulled together in this creative tension. And as I read this text and I think about a church and, and a long view and decades of a history and the kind of congregation that this, this is, I can't be sure what Paul intends with these images, but I can't help here. This sort of tension between two ways of approaching life and church and the world and, and all these things. And, and it's these two words that I get tired of and I almost hate to use, but they're shortcuts to get at something, right? Two words like conservative and progressive. And oh, those are exhausting words sometimes, aren't they? But, but they kind of capture these notions of stability and flexibility, right? Fidelity and creativity. Conservative. To conserve. In definition, to value consistency and tradition and the way things have been. To grow roots and stay put, right? To build up a firm structure on a firm foundation. That's one sort of way of being. And we often separate it from another way of being. Progressive, to be on the move walking forward, attentive to the bubbling, alive spirit, flexible, moldable to new ways of responding to the present world. Flexibility, creativity, innovation. So often we pit these two as kind of mutually exclusive and opposites, and you got to pick sides. And it seems, if I'm reading this text at all faithfully to what Paul is after, he does not choose one over the other but pulls from both sets of imagery as he encourages the church to live in Christ. I love this quote from the same commentator. Roots that do not bring forth dynamic growth and change are taking in no new sustenance, and it results in a stultifying conservatism that grinds the biblical narrative to a halt. So if roots aren't taking in stuff new, it just kind of withers and dies. But growth and change, however, if divorced from firm foundations and deep roots, are tossed by every new cultural wind and it lacks identity and consistency. I like that quote. It suggests that these two things need to live together in their tension for, for a sense of creativity and, and freshness and newness. So what, what faithfulness requires, it seems, to be faithful in the present is to creatively improvise to move our story forward. It means improvisation in the present, but not just randomly, improvisation that is faithful to us what, what has come before. If we're writing a new chapter in that story, that chapter has to do something with the chapters that have come before, or else it's not part of the same story anymore. But at the same time, if we're writing a new chapter and we simply go back and copy chapter 2 verbatim, word for word, we haven't written a new chapter either, and we've failed our task. And so it's to absorb those stories of our heritage and stories from Scripture so they get into our bones and into our minds and hearts 
And they are so deeply implanted in us that when we freely and creatively act out new scenes, we will be acting out of the story that has come before and respond with creativity to the needs of the present. And when we see this, we'll recognize all of this is part of the same big story. As I listen to our friends here, as I have moved around this congregation for, for a while, for me at least, this is one of the primary things that makes La Sierra La Sierra. Living out of this creative, sacred tension. Not completely choosing one and abandoning the other, but holding together the firmness of a great foundation and rich tradition, together with the, the flexibility and aliveness to listen to where the Spirit is blowing and moving and take the risks it requires to respond to new things today. It's taking up the task of writing new chapters that speak new life into the present while remaining faithful to the stories and the chapters that have come before. It's knowing fully the risks that sometimes when we do this, we might actually get it wrong. But the alternative of simply repeating verbatim our history is also too big of a risk to take. And it's not what we are called to. This is at the heart of what makes La Sierra, La Sierra. And so church, through it all, this is what we are called to, trusting that God, who has been faithful in this La Sierra place for nearly 100 years, will surely be faithful for 100 years more. May this God bless you and bless us.